Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dark Matters. Hello, friend. Hi, friend. So, today on this episode, we are going to go more into true crime. Ooh. So, definitely excited for this one. I'm totally excited. I I like crime. (laughs) I like crime, too. Yes, crime. Not in that way, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I like committing crimes. Just kidding. Not against people or animals. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Mm. So, so this case, we're going to talk about Megan Nicole Kanka. Now, Megan Nicole Kanka was a seven-year-old girl who lived in Hamilton Township, New Jersey, which is very close to Trenton, New Jersey. Very close. So, very close to, um, very close to our area. And Mm -hmm. she had been riding her bike in the middle of the summer, um, which she has done had done many times before. She was a kid. You know, in the middle of summer, hanging out outside. So on July 29th, 1994, she was riding her bike outside her house. Um, They, that was the last time she was seen. When her parents went to look for her, they did find her bike on their front lawn, but they had no signs of Megan anywhere. So they tried to immediately search for her. They had neighbors coming out to help. They had police out there trying to help. They couldn't find her anywhere. Oh my uh, gosh. Which was terrible. I mean, she's a seven year old girl and she's all of a sudden missing. And no imagine. one knows where she went. And it yeah, it was it was very hard. So And and you're the parent and you're coming out and like, okay, here's my here's the bike, where's my kid? Yeah. And you're probably thinking, oh, they probably just like you know, kids do, they run up and somehow they just like jump off and push it onto the ground. Yeah. And you're probably like, Oh, this is no big deal. No. I'm exactly. glad everybody went out now. Like yeah. neighborhoods and stuff that that's really nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So she had a couple of different neighbors. Um, there was uh, her across the street neighbors. There were actually two men. One was Jesse Tamendaquas and his roommate, Joseph Safali. Now, you know, they helped out trying to find Megan, but obviously for a while they couldn't find her anywhere. They didn't know. Wait, I have a any weird question. Yeah. Um, were they like actual roommates or were they like romantic? So there's really no, um, there's really no evidence that I have seen that shows that they were anything more than roommates. I think it was oh, okay. more so when I get into their background, you'll kind of see that it seems like it was oh, more okay, so yeah. just a roommate situation based on their, their okay. life at the time. If that makes sense. Okay. So yeah. anyway, so the neighbors around the area were trying to help find Megan. They had been doing extensive searches with the police officers and with Megan's parents. Um, and so hadn't really had any luck. The police were, you know, questioning neighbors to see if they had seen anything or had spoken to Megan or anything like that since she had been out for a while during the day. So uh, with those two neighbors across the, the way, there was... Jesse Temendaquas and Joseph Safeli. So when police did speak to both of them, Safeli uh, did have uh, an alibi. He was, I don't believe he was home at the time. Uh, so Temendaquas actually told police that he did see Megan riding her bike in the neighborhood around 2.30 in the afternoon that day. 
Um, but however, he had spoken earlier in the day to uh, Megan's mom, Maureen. And when he spoke to her, he told her that he saw Megan before dinner time, which hmm. didn't really match up. So hmm. they asked him again. Yeah, a little, little fishy there. So they asked him again after they found out. And he said he did see her riding in front of her house between 5.30 and 6 o'clock that evening. So they did end up searching his home. Okay. He was very, very nervous during the time. They did pick up on that very quickly, how nervous he was acting while they were searching his home. And he, again, repeated that he had seen Megan and a friend between 5 and 5.30 while he was washing his boat. So very conflicting statements. The timeline is not matching up. It's clear that he's admitting that he's seen her in the neighborhood the day of her going missing, but cannot get his story straight. Yeah, we know that's not good. Okay. No. So he did um, He did go to the police station. They did question him for a bit and ask him about his whereabouts. He was released shortly after. They did not keep him. And it wasn't until the next day that he fully decided, I guess, to confess to what he had done. Oh, wow. Um, and I, and it actually says that he was, he was, I guess, prompted by his roommates telling him, Hey, like you should really admit that to what you've done. I'm not sure if they had, if they had known about it, if he had mentioned that to, to them, not really sure about that, but somehow they had an inkling that he did it. And they kind of prompted him to say, Hey, you should admit to what you did. So he did listen to them. Now, wow. before before we get into what he actually did and what he admitted to, I think it's important. For Wait, us- and how old is he again? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't think I mentioned that before. Um, oh, he's okay. actually 33 years old at the time. Ew. Okay. Yes. I was I was thinking maybe like 16. No, no. Even no, like he maybe was 19. not a teenager. He was a full-blown Ew. adult. Not Yeah. So very gross. That is worse than Lots of it. I was already thinking. Okay. Yes. All right. Much worse. So I think okay. it's important before we get into exactly what he had done and how he admitted to the crimes, I think it's important for us to go back and talk about his background. So all 33 he, years of it. Ew. Okay. Not Sorry. all of it. We're not gonna go through his whole life. That's you know, we're gonna I go through some... every single moment. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just just say to start off, this is not his first rodeo with young girls. So in October of, of 1979, and mind you, she was uh, went missing on July 29th, 1994. So this is back in 1979. Oh he had God. assaulted a five-year-old girl, <gasps> and the way he the way he got her was he asked if she would look for ducks with him. So shut up. Yes, oh. five years old. And this was back in 1979, so, you know, he had to have been... But also, like, let's go feed ducks? Like, you don't expect anything bad to be... And she's five years old, so you you know... Oh, my God. No way. Yeah, if you ask a five-year-old girl, can you come look for ducks with me? You really think she's not going to say yes. She's going to say yes. Mm -hmm. She's going to say yes. I'm... 
I forgot how old I was for a second, but I'm my age and I would definitely still go. I also want to know, in 1979, when this uh, sexual assault happened to this five-year-old girl, he was 18 years old. So this oh, this pedophilia had been around for what seems like a very long time for him. Shame on him. So very gross. He did end mm. up getting caught for this sexual assault. He Good. did uh, plead guilty to this attempted aggravated sexual assault. He was offered the chance to have a suspended sentence, which meant no jail time if he went to counseling. Mm. Uh, so that was the original plan, but he did not end up attending therapy. Oh my gosh. Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. So he did end up having to spend nine months in the Middlesex County Adult Correctional Center. He wasn't released from that facility. Do you know, this is a weird question, but I wonder how long it took them to be like, okay, you're not going, you're getting sent. It probably wasn't, wasn't long after after they had agreed to it, I'd assume. Okay, I mean, if you don't start therapy as an agreement for no jail time and you don't even go, I would assume it would be after the first or second time that you miss that they're going to say, you know what? Jail, you go. So, no, you know. Good. Okay. So, he wasn't released from this facility until June of 1981. And, of course, after he gets out, he's right back at it. So he decided to um, convince a seven-year-old girl to walk into the woods with him. And they're talking about firecracker, firecrackers. No. Excuse me. He did attack her and choked her and left her when she turned blue. She was unconscious completely. However, her mother did find her and she was still alive. <gasps> Thankfully. Stop. Oh, thank God. Thankfully. Oh, my God. Wait, and how old was he at this time? So that was 1981, so he would have been 20 years old. My God. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he did go and get charged for this crime as well. He pleaded guilty to attempted sexual contact and attempting to cause serious bodily wow. injury. The maximum sentence for this charge, these charges, was 10 years. Uh, and what's interesting is during the trial, the judge called him a compulsive, repetitive sexual offender yes. who constitutes a danger to the public at large and to young children in particular. Yep. And he did impose the full sentence on him. Correct. So he actually ended up going to this adult diagnostic and treatment center in Avenel, New Jersey, where sexual offenders are treated. Hmm. During his time at this facility, he reportedly did not go or engage in therapy sessions. <sighs> However, he did meet his two future roommates. Oh. Joseph Cefali and Brian Jenin. Both were also known sexual offenders. The standard at the time for these types of facilities for their holding sexual offenders is that they will be released with less than seven years into their sentence depending on how long it's been. So he really only did spend oh about God. three years, it seems, <gasps> in this facility. That is not enough time. Three to four, it looks like, because he his full sentence was 10 years. So he spent, he was released with less than seven years into his sentence. So he only wow. spent about three to four years in this facility. Wow. And clearly he was not doing anything while he was there. Yeah. So clearly not getting any help whatsoever nor wanting to change mm -mm -mm. so that kind of gives you an idea of you know where he's at here 
he did end up moving in to the house across the street from Megan with the two guys that he met at the facility, Joseph Cefeli and Brian Jenin. Now, we do know about Joseph Cefeli, he had been charged with carnal abuse and sodomy of a five-year-old girl. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So, all of them in one house, living across the street from a seven-year-old girl. You can only imagine how Wait, that is. who was that? And what was that the was other Joseph guy's Cefeli, and rep? that was his roommate, Brian Jenin. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Brian Jenin, if I can. Ugh. I mean, I know I'm not going to like him, but ugh. Just getting ready. It looks like for Brian Jenin, he actually was in Two Little Boys. Oh, my God. So, Brian Jenin actually was charged with molesting two boys under the age of 13. So, we're at the next day here. He was just convinced by his roommates to admit to the crimes that he committed. So, he did go and talk to police at the station. He told them that Megan was, in fact, dead. And then he did leave her body in a in Mercer County Park, which was not far away from, oh from their, his home. We'll talk about now exactly what he did with her. So, this part is going to be a little disturbing i mean this whole episode is a little disturbing because we are talking about little kids and you know sexual assault and all that so but this is going to be a little bit darker we're going to talk about a little bit more details so just kind of warning you now okay it was about 5 30 that he did end up making contact with megan that day on july 29th 1994 he lured her into his house he talked about playing with his new puppy that's how he kind of got her in to his home he did end up getting her into his bedroom. He tried to sexually assault her. Ugh. But, of course, she's a little girl. She's scared. And this is very traumatizing. So she starts to scream and tries to escape. But he's he's terrified that he's going to be caught, that someone's going to hear her, and that she's going to get away. So he strangled her with a belt oh. until she lost consciousness. Oh, my God. Now, during this whole struggle of him trying to avoid her escaping his place, she did hit her face on a dresser and her head on a door, which did cause her to have some bleeding. He did not want, he's already thinking ahead, did not want to get any bloodstains on his carpet. Okay. So he did try to put a plastic bag over her head to avoid any blood from being spilled. And he just like had that on him? Yep. I guess so. He must have had this kind of, you know, planned in his head. So, you know, after, even after all of that, after her bleeding, her losing consciousness from being strangled, he still sexually assaulted her again. Oh, my God. But after that, he thought she was dead. He thought he killed her. So he put her body in a toy box. Oh. And he took it, took it in his truck. While he was in his truck... He thought he heard her cough. Wasn't sure, though. But he did take her out of the box, took her to the park, and placed her in some tall weeds. Now, that wasn't already bad enough of what she's been through. And now her body's being dumped in a park close by. Before he leaves, guess what he decides to do again? What? Sexually assault her again. No. Yeah. And mind you, this is when he already isn't sure if she's even alive or not. Oh, my God. So, he's a, this is the third time 
that he is sexually assaulting the seven-year-old girl even after strangling her and her being hurt just from all the struggle. Very, very upsetting to hear about what she went through and how she was just left for dead and unfortunately did not survive her wounds. So was she, when they got there and he and she was assaulted the third time, was she alive then or was he still not sure? It sounds like she wasn't even sure. And we're not, it's really hard to say when, when exactly she, she officially passed. But all I, all we know is that when he did go and confess and told them where she was, they did take him out there and he led them to her body. Mm -mm -mm. And he told them everything. Wow. Yep. And he, the, the interesting thing though is, he did not mention in full detail about the sexual assault or how she got the head injuries. Okay. He really kind of, I think, was making up his own little confession and not bringing up all the aspects of his crimes. Yeah. And it wasn't until they had the results of the autopsy that they were able to go back and confront him about all of these additional details that he left out. Mm -hmm. So... That's when he finally decided to admit to the sexual assault wow. and the head injuries and everything else he had done during the whole course of the murder. Wow. What's very gross about this is there was some talks of what exactly he said mm -hmm. um, during his confession. And one thing he did share, which is very, very disturbing, is that he, he would watch her play often. Because, of course, she lived across the street. Ew. She was very accessible. Ew. He even said he, when he watched her, he would get sweaty palms and his heart would race because of Gross. the excitement of seeing her play. Ew. Ew. Yeah. And I'm sorry, how old very, is she at this? Gross. How old is he at this point? 33 years old. Oh, God. I keep on forgetting and I keep on going back to thinking he's like a teenager. Oh, ew. Yeah. So very, very disturbing. Yeah. During the trial, the trial did go for a little less than a month. So during during his plea phase of the trial, that was from May 5th to May 30th of 1997. And mind you, this is three years after he committed the crimes. So he had been in prison up until this point, waiting for his trial. At this point, the jury did find him guilty of purposeful or knowing murder two counts of felony murder, first-degree kidnapping, and four counts of first-degree aggravated sexual assault. Now, the penalty phase of the trial commenced on June 9th and went through to June 20th, 1997. So wow, okay. The jury found that the factors outweighed the mitigating factors beyond a reasonable doubt. So his initial sentence by the court was death. Yes. Agreed. I know it's kind of it's kind of it's it's hard, you know. But like it's. Kids. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm not Disgusting. surprised that that would be yeah. it. But I'm kind of surprised. What year was this? This wasn't long ago. This was 1997 when the trial was occurring, and she was murdered in 1994. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of shocked by that, but also not shocked. But go on. Yes. So they did talk more about. During the trial, which I think this is very interesting because it kind of speaks to the character of Jesse Temendiquas, he had they had some experts testifying during the trial to talk about him and his life. 
They did have a uh, forensic social worker. Her name was Carol Kreitch. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but what's going to go with K-R-Y-C-H. Kreitch, maybe? That sounds more right. Maybe. I didn't expect that. Yeah. And so we're going to go with that. So they had some experts testifying at the, at the, the trials to talk about him and his life. So Carol Kreitch was a forensic social worker. She did testify about his early childhood, about his mother, how she was an alcoholic who was also, um, quote-unquote, promiscuous. And she had 10 children by seven different men. And <gasps> Wow, that's yeah. a lot. That is Just a like whole lot kids, of trauma in like, one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And on top of that, she also testified that his father was a violent drinker with a criminal history. Mm. So you can only imagine having the trauma from your mother and the trauma mm-hmm. from your father. Not to give him an excuse. Absolutely not. There is no excuse for his actions. But it is worth to acknowledge that his childhood does not seem to be a happy one. Yeah, definitely does not. Yes. Yeah, so they they did you know, say that he was raised in poverty. He did not have much money. The family was living in a shack. They went hungry a lot and did not have adequate medical care. And that there was some talks that his father had sexually abused both Jesse and his brother Paul frequently. Mm. And that once they saw him rape a seven-year-old girl. Mm. Also, that the father tortured and killed their pets, no. and off actually, this is very, this is very gross. His there was talks that the father did force the brothers to eat their pet nope. rabbit. No thanks. So very, very, very That's messed up. Childhood. So messed up. If, if those, if those sources are true with what they said, mm-hmm. very, very disturbing. No. Yep. So. She did add on that he had, Jesse had his own emotional problems during his youth. You know, he, they talked about he was an, he could have been quote unquote mentally retarded. That's a quote. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they, they couldn't really, they couldn't really testify based on direct academic reports or anything like that. So it was kind of just. Oh, right. I'm trying to say, well, like, he could be not fully there, you know, trying yeah. to give him something. It's really hard to even say that, though, with everything he did. Yeah. And so they did have a second expert. This was a psychologist, Dr. John Podboy. He did rely upon Kreitch's report, but never evaluated Jesse personally. So this was all kind of like... One okay. step removed, not actually yeah. speaking to Jesse or dealing with him face to face. This is all kind of going off of testimony by Carol Kreitch. So he found, based on his evaluation, that he is not only a, pedophil- a pedophiliac, but he has borderline mental retardation, fetal alcohol effects <sighs> from his mother drinking, a possible schizoid personality disorder. Generalized anxiety, PTSD, the list goes on. Many, many, many different mental illnesses in one. And he basically was just trying, with with this, this testimony of him saying these things, he was trying to, I guess, say that he has a major, quote unquote, brain abnormality, which could lead him 
to do things that he's not completely aware of, which, you know, very wow. hard to believe. Yeah. Basically trying to say that his responses to things is a, is a direct reflection of that mental illnesses he has and the responses he have he has are not obviously correct ones, but it's because of all these mental illnesses. That's why he did what he did. So they're basically saying instead of like the insanity defense, they're talking about like he literally was incapable of stopping himself from doing this, even if he wanted to. Right. Basically. He, he he's hit this. This is a quote. His capacity to appreciate the wrongfulness of his require of his conduct was very much impaired as was his ability to conform his conduct to the requirements of the law. Isn't this just a narcissist? I mean... <laughs> Couldn't that be, like, a like, little of everyone? <laughs> I feel like it, I feel like you're right, but I feel like with narcissists, they're aware of it, whereas That's they're true. trying That's to say true. that he's not aware. So they're basically just pulling at... Uh, what's the saying? Pulling at roots? No. Pulling at strings? Pulling at yes, straws? straws that's it so it's basically they're just pulling at straws at this point and be like he didn't yeah he didn't know and basically just giving them every him every disorder like that's a right. wide range of disorders and for some people that didn't even like see him face to face that blows my mind because that's so i don't know it's like sometimes you can be wrong and sometimes you can be wrong and like that's just that's just weird yeah there was another psychiatrist dr robert sadoff so he he chimed in. I don't believe if I'm not sure if this was exactly at his trial or not, but he did say that there was no evidence to support their claims of him being extremely emotionally disturbed and have a diminished capacity. All right. He said that that Jesse's description of his own conduct demonstrates that he was in control of the situation and had simply acted logically to avoid apprehension. Yes. He also mentioned that his IQ is 74, mm -hmm. which shows that he has borderline intelligence that did not prevent him from functioning or appreciating the nature of his conduct. Hmm. So, okay. kind of cut and dry here, right? Yeah. So, he was initially sentenced to death. Yes. Wow. However, this was on May 30th of 1997. That is when the jury officially called him guilty on all counts of murder, including capital murder, kidnapping, and aggravated sexual assault. He did face the penalty, the death penalty, or a minimum of 30 years in prison. And this was supposed to start on June 9th of 1997. Um, there was an issue, obviously, with New Jersey commuting all of their uh, death penalty prisoners when they did abolish the death penalty. So he did end up getting sentenced to life imprisonment and that did start uh technically on december 17th of 2007 that was when his sentence was commuted to life in prison so given all of that mm -hmm. that's a lot as it is but there is some good that came out of this as hard as that sounds mm -hmm. and as unbelievable as that sounds there was a lot of good that did come out of this crime that happened. Megan's parents really took this and decided to try to make a change with the way that the things are handled in the U.S. with sexual offenders. 
That's great. That is absolutely. When you like think back, like some, like when you describe this and everything, um, mm-hmm. it's completely mind blowing that things just didn't exist one day. And then they just suddenly did like, you know, like laws and stuff like this, like it's mind blowing. Like one day it just didn't exist, but you think of things that we have now as just common. And then you, you, you kind of think back and you're like, wow, how did this not exist until now? Exactly. And it's a shame because it's after a tragedy of some kind that usually these things are done because it's like, we've never needed it until now. So mind blowing. Yes. So Megan's parents, uh, Maureen and Richard. So they took this horrible event, losing their seven-year-old daughter to a sexual offender who lived right across the street from them. Mm-hmm. And they decided that something needed to be changed. This, this should not have happened. Yes. Absolutely should not have happened. So they mandated with the state of New Jersey to make it a mandatory notification of the community if a sexual offender moves into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you think about it now and you think, you know, of course you want to know if a sexual offender is moving into your neighborhood. If there's young kids already living there, yep. that's something that absolutely should be known. So this is something that's kind of like a now it's a no brainer, a no brainer type of thing that we're we, sh- we are glad that we have an effect. But back then they didn't have it. There was no no sort of legislation. And again, yeah, nothing had happened. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so, it. and it was so close to home for Megan. This was right across the street. She mm-hmm. was literally murdered, essentially right across the street from her home. I mean, that's mm-hmm. as close Terrifying. as you can get if you're not already in your home. So mm-hmm. it just shows that you know this needs to be fixed. This something needs to be done. That these people can't go like unknown exactly like, you gotta know i just des- people deserve to know if that's who you- unfortunately that's how it is and of course we're talking extreme cases i know that there are many ways now i think to there's different instances that aren't right but can get you registered right 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 um that aren't necessarily in a sexual manner or like pedophilia or something like that it is just circumstance but like those people those worst case yeah i want to know yeah i want to know if they're across the street i want to know if they're in the town over like i don't right exactly so this was so there was another another law before megan's law because this is going to be called megan's law Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. I don't I just realized I didn't say until just now. This will be called Megan's Law. Yes. But <laughs> there was a federal law called the Je- Jacob Wetterling Act of 1994. This required each state to create a registry for sexual offenders and other offenders against children. This would be for law enforcement use only. Um, although they were allowed to release this information to specific people who were deemed okay. necessary. Yep. To protect the public. So basically what, what Megan's um, parents, Maureen and Richard, did was they, they the way that they were able to get Megan's law passed was they tried to say that Jacob Wetterling's act did not sufficiently protect the, the way that Megan was murdered. They had no way of knowing that Jesse Temendiquas had even been moved in across the street. Mm-hmm. He could have been on this registry but they have no access to that yeah and no one no one in the public would know that he was there only law enforcement so Mm -hmm. her their reasoning is that the public needs to know 
if these people are moving into their neighborhood, they need to know that they're there to protect their families, protect their children. Yep. So, you know, using that as their driving force to say this needs additional legislation in addition to the Jacob Waterling Act, there needs to be something else that helps the public with this. That is the way they were able to pass Megan's Law in New Jersey. And that did pass in October of 1994 by the governor of New Jersey. So the good thing is this law went into effect less than three months after Megan was murdered. Wow. So it did not I didn't even I didn't even put that together. That is wicked fast. Which is great. That's I mean, impressive. Considering how, you know, how long these things can take, yep. they can be a long and arduous process of trying to get these these laws passed. Exactly. And the fact that they were able to get this passed in less than three months just shows you right wow. there that it's kind of like a no-brainer yep. thing. Wow. They all kind of like, oh, that makes sense. Thank you God. know? Richard said in 1995, her, Megan's father, we have said all along that no law is going to protect prevent every sexual assault on children but if it saves one child it will be worth it yep and maureen said in 1996 megan's mother i have no problems opening my heart and crying and being personal with strangers as long as i can open somebody's eyes okay to essentially what happened yeah so they they didn't just stop there though they didn't just stop with new jersey they kept pushing and kept pushing to see if they could push this further into the other states and the great thing about this is Almost two years after Megan's death, on May 17, 1996, President Bill Clinton did sign a federal version of Megan's law. So this was now a federal law that was enacted throughout the whole United States. Wow. So basically, there was some, some variability between the states. But essentially, what this law requires is that all states have to have some sort of registry that is available to the public so people can know if there is a sexual offender that is nearby. So there was an update, actually, to this law, and this was in February 8th of 2016, so it was not too long ago. Wow, okay. Uh, It was called the International Megan's Law to Prevent Child Exploitation and Other Sexual Crimes Through Advanced Notification of Traveling Sexual Offenders, and this was signed into law by President Barack Obama. So this is now the International Megan's Law, and this orders registered sexual offenders to report international travel prior to departure and this will be this notice of of their convictions is now included in their passports okay yeah this is how much just megan's death alone has impacted the whole country oh yeah oh my god and as horrible as this crime was and as horrible of the things that she had to deal with and go through at the end of her life, there is some good part to it that there was all of this change that was able to be enacted after her death to prevent this from happening again. Exactly. Now, obviously, we know this is not going to take away everything completely. Um, but, oh, my God, the fact that it sounds really morbid, but the the fact that, like, one good person like is sacrificed to save so many, like, thousands of millions of others, and it's one of those cases where just – a human a pure human a pure child human little Mm -hmm. baby girl Mm -hmm. this had to happen to her in order to literally help hundreds of thousands of kids across the country like that's insane yeah 
I, you know, it's so, it's so hard to think that we had to lose an innocent child for this all to kind of come about and all these laws be passed to kind of help the country. But yo, and shout out to the parents. Yeah. They did so good. They did. That's, that's amazing. You would think that every parent would be the same and, you know, and some are, and that's just very heartwarming because yeah. they're like, nope. Okay. Next on to the next and thing. It's, Let's it's do so that. hard. Okay. Yeah. And it's so hard. You know, obviously we can't imagine losing what it's like to lose a child, uh, your own, your own child yeah. way, way, way too young. And in the way that she was lost and for yeah. her parents to not just, you know, sink after that happening and not just give up. And yeah. they just took that and they used that. They fueled their fire. They ran with this. They said, you know what? This is never, we cannot let this happen again. This should not have happened, period, to Megan. And we cannot let this happen to any other child in the U.S. It's so great that yeah. they were able to go this far and push so hard. And finally, we have now the legislation that can hopefully protect this from happening again. And having something happen like this to another child like Megan did. Yeah, exactly. It's I really do give props to um, parents that take their anger and their sadness and they turn it into just straight up <laughs> like yeah. I'm coming for you. Like, you yeah. know, but, you know, it's very upsetting. Now there is. So there is this there's this um, organization called Rain, and it's the Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. And I think it's very important for us to just briefly mention this fact. They do say in cases of child sexual abuse, 59% of perpetrators are acquaintances of the victim, while 34% are family members. So this just shows wow. you the people who are in your child's life are usually the main ones who could potentially assault them later on, whether it be a neighbor, someone that they just know by name that they say hello to occasionally, or a family member even. These people can easily well, and and saying that it would be people that have a have a history of it it's not just watch out well, for no, all your family no, and that's friends not, it's no, more that's not, that's, you know no it's, it's just, just <laughs> this is really this no, and really i know it's just, just trying yes, to say it's showing it's this is it's really close just trying to, home. to say that you know you can't always expect things like this to happen to right a stranger a stranger coming after your child this is going most likely going to be someone that they know in some capacity so the best yeah. way that we can try to prevent this is if they have a history of sexual assault or any sort of sexual offense toward a child they need to be on a registry so if they are near your child yep. in any sort of capacity you are yes. aware of it so this does not happen again yes. now the last thing I, I do want to leave off on with this story is um, I figure let's just talk about a quote that Jesse himself said um, at the end of his trial. Um, he said, okay, I am sorry for what I've done to Megan. I pray for her and her family every day. I have to live with this and what I've done for the rest of my life. I ask you to let me live so I someday can understand and have an understanding why something like this could happen. Thanks. No. Okay. I have something to say. What is his name again? Because I haven't even kept it in my head. Yes. Jesse. Not even going to say, I'm not even going to attempt the last name. Yes. Jesse though. Um, no, right. Jesse. I, I, 
you had to live the rest of your life with the first assault that you attempted on a Mm -hmm. five-year-old girl while feeding Mm -hmm. ducks with her. That's what you had to deal with for the rest of your life. But then during that, at some point you thought, "Mm, might as well do it again. I'll live with it for the rest of my life. No, Mm -hmm. Jesse. No, I, I hate these criminals. I hate these people that come in and <sighs> they're they awful all around. You, they destroy people's they lives and they don't care. They try to give you a half-ass apology and try to make it seem like they have yes. some sort of, you know, regret for what they've done and that they, you know, they're very sorry and they have to live with this. Well, guess what? That is part of it. You did it. You live with it. And you yeah. hopefully are tormented by what you've done exactly. to these children. It's not just Megan. There's, like I said, just the two alone that I had mentioned in the in the earlier part of the podcast, two other little girls who were assaulted by him. Yeah. So this is, That's, this is unfortunately just frankly, bullshit. Bullshit. Complete bullshit. Jesse. Trying to get some sort of sympathy yeah. for him when in reality, there's no sympathy for this man at all. He is still in prison. Well, and you know, I'd rather have, I'd rather have someone um, admit what they did was wrong, even though it would be annoying because it's like, I want you to suffer. And like, you know, there's that double standard and I'd rather him like be honest and just be truthful so I could just heal quicker. But it pisses me off so much more when they pretend, when they pretend, like just be honest, just be honest. Yeah, exactly. At this point, we're here, we're in court, you're going to prison. Like what? That's why people that show bodies, I'm kind of like, good that's literally what you should be doing so do it i don't know it pisses me off a lot no i hear you i completely agree he he was grasping at whatever he could grasp at to try to get some sympathy for how you know how his life is going to be now in reality you should have thought of that before the first assault that you had committed like that is disgusting like you know what they should have do you know on the show scared straight Okay, they should have a series where normal people like us, like everyday citizens, um, we go and we can pick prisons and like where there's like convicts like this, like inmates that you can go visit. And instead of them scaring us straight, we get to like, like close fist smack <laughs> them in the face. You know, they'd have a long list. And you go around and it's kind of, exactly. They could make, I would pay if you paid $5 for every time you wanted to go to prison, like hit someone that like committed crimes against like yeah. children or whatever. Um, I feel like we'd have more money to put towards things that, you know, might need some money. And I think it's a great uh, trademark and I mark it as mine. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I love the idea. I think, but the problem is okay, I can you. see it now there. The line of people, to do this would be long, long, long. You have to sign and up online. You go online. Smacked, there's a website. <laughs> they'd be smacked so many times. They'd be brain dead. They'd be, so it'd be real. Okay, what about open fist? Just some slaps. <laughs> I feel like after just a while. Slaps. <laughs> Whatever. Shark Tank, please. Well, take just, my invention. Just to note, he is currently still incarcerated in the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton, New Jersey. So Good he bye. is still serving his life sentence, rotting Good. away, hopefully, in bye. New Jersey State Prison. Um, yeah. And he's just a terrible person, essentially. Is, I don't is think the- I've ever met a, a good Jesse. To be honest, I don't think <laughs> I know one, but I'm just going to stick to it. I don't I don't think I've ever met a good so, Jesse. 
Okay. Of all the zero Jessies I've met, I think I can stand by that statement. Okay, so he's still in prison, though. Yes, Bye. he's still in prison. Hopefully rotting okay. away. Um, Definitely rotting away. Yeah. Probably smells bad. Yeah. Yo, what trash. What trash people. I'm going to start making know. a list of the people we talk about, and it's going to be like trash. Hold on. Let me get my notebook out. <laughs> Hold on. Give me a sec. I need a piece of paper. Okay. So, Jesse, is it I-E or E? J-E-S-S-E. What's his last name? Can you spell it? T-I-M-M-E-N-D-E-Q-U-A-S. Q-U-A-S. That is not a real name. Wait, live on the air. I'm going to look up what he looks like. Also, I was just going to mention that. The one picture of him, it looks like he has a bowl cut. Not a good look. <gasps> I hope he has it on the one that I see. Oh. Oh. Yeah. He's a scary looking guy. <gasps> oh. He's a scary looking guy. I'm not going to lie. Like, he <sighs> he has the look. If that makes sense. On oh, I'm seeing pictures of... Um... Megan. Of Megan, yeah. and she is the cutest. She was adorable. Adorable little girl. Oh, my God. He, I would pay, screw $5. I will give $500 of my cold, hard cash to the justice system if it meant I could slap this man <laughs> in the face. He does have a very slappable face. $500. I will skip my next Sally Mae payment. To slap this man <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. What's really sweet is that um, what they ended up doing is they did end up demolishing Jesse's house. And, Good. and they actually, Bye. they actually, in place of it, they made a little park and they called it, they named oh. it after Megan. That is the sweetest. Yeah. So again, another like little silver lining out of something so absolutely atrocious. And I'm sorry, what were the parents' name? Richard and Maureen. Yes. One, can't believe I remember that. I'm great. Two, the picture, the photo of them. Yeah. Um, when I looked them up, they look like the most heartfelt, kind. Where were they? New Jersey. Mm -hmm. New Jerseyan, born and raised yeah. individuals. Uh, wow, that was um really good job for a second episode i really think we're um keeping keeping the topics interesting and um i mean there's only two to go off of but i mean different yeah i like that it's different we'll keep mixing it up Yeah, we like to mix it up mix it up like a big bowl <laughs> oh i regret that, <laughs> I, regret that. I know who i am <laughs> Well, that, that concludes uh, the second episode of Dark Matters. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dark Matters. If you don't already, please follow us on Instagram at darkmatters underscore podcast, on Twitter at darkmatters underscore 22, and on Facebook. Details for our social media can be found in the description of this episode. Stay updated on future episodes and special content, and feel free to share ideas for topics you want to see us cover. Until next time. <laughs>